All right, one last announcement, guys, before we get into the word. Um, there is a sign-up sheet out front on the table for a fellowship meal, fellowship meal that we want to have on October 2nd. So the sign-up sheet is out there. You'll notice that under main meats, Will, we have you down for steak. No, under the main meat, it says Hope Community Church uh, providing the baked chicken. So uh, we will provide the baked chicken. You don't have to bring a main meat. There are two other slots there, but we'll have enough chicken for uh, people. If you feel so led to do one of your meat recipes, I don't know, the Spirit just had me look that way for some reason, and, and you want to bring some meat, that's fine. But we'll provide the meat. But there's other things that uh, we would ask uh, if everybody could participate, side dishes, appetizers, drinks, or desserts. Now, the important thing is when you sign up, guys, it has a quantity. Like, we're thinking 30 for 35 people. That doesn't mean you have to make pasta for 35 people, right? But tell us how much you're going to make. Does that make sense? I'm going to make enough for five. I'm going to make enough for 10. So when the next person signs up, they say, oh, okay, they already got enough for 10. I'll make some for five. So it equals 35. Does that make sense? So you don't have to make enough food for 35 people. All right? You're like, oh, my goodness. Uh, same thing with appetizers, drinks, and desserts. So it's out front there. We would love to start on a regular basis having fellowship meals and just uh, fellowshipping, right? That's what they did in the, in the first church. I don't know. Did they do it every every week? They did it, I think, probably. You know? So we're, we're going to just – the, 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 yeah, the love, love, love meal or something like that. Whatever, yeah. But anyway, October 2nd. I hope you guys can just kind of mark your calendars and be a part of that. That would be awesome. Uh, and we would just, you know, ab obviously have our regular time of worship and then go into the fellowship hall and have a, a meal together. Amen? So please, don't be shy. Sign up. And uh, I have spices if you need them, bro. You know. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, – Ask God for his blessing as we get into the word. Father, thank you again for Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we look at your word together now, I pray that you would realign our thinking with yours. It's so easy to get off track. It's so easy, Father, with everything going on during the week, uh, just not even to spend time in the word and just forget that, that we have to be renewing our minds if we're going to walk in a manner that's pleasing to you. So we pray now, Father, that you would settle our hearts and minds. Help us to focus on the truth that you have. May your Holy Spirit convict us all to show us what we need to do to be more Christ-like. For we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. One of the things that I will often ask people in a counseling setting, if they are a believer, they'll tell me what the situation is in their life that they're wrestling with, but then I'll ask them this question, what's the reality of the gospel in your life? And it's funny, a lot of times I, I get, like, they don't know how to answer that. They say, well, you know, Pastor Ron, we say, you know, we're believers. Okay, I understand that. What's the reality? How does that play out in your life? And sometimes there's this disconnect, right? I know I'm saved. I know Jesus Christ paid it all. I know I am righteous because of Christ. There, there are no works that I can do to earn my salvation. Jesus Christ did it all. Amen. That's why it's called the gospel of grace. But sometimes there's a disconnect between that reality and then how we go through our daily life. And so I want you to ask yourself, as I've been asking myself, what's the reality of the gospel in your life? How does it flesh out? 
We're going to be in Romans 12, but if you look at the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters, Paul has been laying out really what the gospel is. Paul has been laying out through these 11 chapters a couple of themes. I'm just going to point out three here. There are some other ones, but just to give you a gist. In the first 11 chapters, he's been showing us that our righteousness is through faith in Jesus alone. That's the key. Amen? You do not, cannot work for your salvation. It's through God's mercy that we are saved. I didn't bring anything to the table, and God said, well, there's a good guy I could use. No, it doesn't work that way. It's his sovereign grace. Amen? And then thirdly, God will work all things for our good, which in that good is being conformed to Jesus Christ. So salvation is initiated by God, granted by God, and used by God to conform us to the image of his son. And we ought to find great peace in that, guys, because oftentimes we are our greatest enemy, right? And Satan exasperates that. So as we're living our life and we're not quite keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, here comes the accuser. Satan is so good at what he does. He's the father of lies. He's the accuser of the brethren, and he's the great deceiver. And he's so good at taking the truths of the gospel and trying to get you to not focus on the gospel of grace, but to focus on your own performance, what you're doing, your failures, your weaknesses. He loves to do that. But I praise God that all that we are, it is wrapped up in what Jesus Christ did. So so for 11 chapters, the Apostle Paul has been just expounding on that. We come to chapter 12, where we're going to focus And so Paul now says in chapter 12, okay, in light of the gospel of grace, it ought to mean something to you. It it, it should be more than I'm on my way to heaven. Amen. That's something to rejoice, right? Amen. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But Paul in chapter 12 now gets real practical with the believers in how our life ought to look. So Look at what he says in Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, or I urge you, my brothers. And that brothers there, he's talking about brothers and sisters in the Lord. So he's talking to these Christians. By the mercies of God, I'm appealing to you through the mercies of God that he just finished unpacking for 11 chapters. In light of all that truth, I'm pleading with you. Paul, what, what's he urging you to do? I'm begging you to now present your bodies, your life, as a living sacrifice. If I understand what happened on Calvary's cross, that God's wrath was poured out on Jesus Christ, thereby absorbing all of the punishment that I deserve, that you deserve, was poured out on Christ. And now Christ is my substitute. He's the lamb that was slain. And now I am in Christ, forgiveness totally, based on his death and resurrection. Paul says, do you really believe that? Yeah, we do, we do, we do. Now take your life and present it to God as a sacrifice. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. 
Give your life now over to God. Not in a sense of, I'm going to live my life to try to earn God's favor. Remember, we already have that in Christ. But there is a way I ought to be living my life in light of what Jesus did. And so he, he uses this, this, this lingo that they would have fully understood, this sacrificial language, right? Every Jewish mind would have understood this because they had to do what with the priests? Bring the sacrifices, right? And the priest would take the sacrifice and burn the entire thing up. Now he says, as believers, present your life as a living sacrifice. You think about sacrifice, you think something's about to die. Some people walk up to you and say, yo, man, we about to sacrifice you. That ain't good. <laughs> I'm running the other way. But he's talking about a living sacrifice. So you have to ask yourself this question. Sacrifice means something dies. But he's saying to present my life a living sacrifice. So what is he talking about? What is it that is going to be crucified or put to death in my life? Your old way of living. Your old way of living. Ephesians says it this way. Put off the old man. Right? And then Ephesians 4 gives you all these things. You used to do all these things, all these immoral things, lying, cheating, deceiving, all of these things, right? But now put on the new man, which is renewed. That key word's going to come up again. Renewed in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? So, so although I am in Jesus Christ and my righteousness is totally in him, there is something that I need to choose to do. Now, now, now let, let's, not, let's not twist this. Again, can you do anything to earn your salvation? No. But must you do something to live out the reality of being in union with Christ? Yes. You see the difference? It would be no different than when Monique and I stood in front of Pastor Emmanuel Malone 28 years ago, and he said, I now pronounce you man and wife. At that moment, I could have given the pastor a fist pump. Babe, love you. This has been great. I'm out. And exit stage right. Let me ask you a question. Would I have still been married? Absolutely. Have the marriage certificate in my back pocket. We're still technically married. I go back to my bachelor pad. In Alany, she go back to Germantown, and that's how we live out our married life. Would we still be married? Yes. <laughs> See the problem, though? So many Christians live that way. So many Christians live that way. They, they've come to know Christ. They understand. Saved by faith, grace alone, through faith. In, they understand that. But then they exit stage left, and there's no fruit in their life. There's no sacrifice. The sacrifice being that old man is not being put away. They're not walking in the newness and the power of the Holy Spirit. But yet they're genuinely saved. Paul says, in light of the mercies of God, the grace of God, I'm pleading with you to present your body, your life as a living sacrifice. Now he qualifies it. What does that look like, Paul? Holy, set apart. 
holy, set apart, and acceptable to God. I should not have to tell people that I'm married. Think about this. When I'm out and about in the community, the way I interact, you should be able to see that must be a married man. I can tell the way he's acting. Not just because of the ring. A lot of Christians got the ring on. But it's like a, lo a lot of guys have the ring on. I'm like, yo, bro, aren't you married? Oh, yeah, um, we were just, uh, you were just what? Well, let me call your wife and tell her how close y'all were talking. No, no, Pastor, we ain't got to go there. I said, well, no, I'm, right? This doesn't mean anything. It symbolizes something. But it ought to be a reality in my life. My behavior ought to be different. I don't act the way I act when I was single. I never forget. <laughs> I think I've told my this. I always got to filter these stories and make sure that I tell my wife this. <laughs> but I remember early on after Monique and I got married, remember Just Shogun Daycare? I was working at Just Shogun Daycare. I, I don't know if I told, if I told you this. We had just got married, right? Right? And the lady walked in and she said, hey, so you, um, so you and Monique, how was the wedding? I thought, oh, it was beautiful. <laughs> she says to me, well, let me know if it doesn't work out, and walked out of the classroom. I, I told you that, didn't I? Whew, thank God. Okay. <laughs> right? And it's like, and, and, and so many people live their lives that way. Their marriages are, are in shambles because they made a commitment, but there's not a reality of that commitment. That, that, of that love to one another. Just like sometimes in our lives, there's, there's not that reality of our commitment, our love to Jesus Christ in light of what he did for us. And so Paul says, our life ought to be holy, set apart, sanctified, different. Now listen, guys, we are all going to struggle. Lord knows I have a list of things that the Holy Spirit is constantly working on. And all of us are going to have that list until we see him. Amen. But again, praise God, I don't have to get everything crossed off on the list to be with him. I am in Christ now. I praise God for that. But the reality is because of that, it ought to invoke in me a desire to want to be like Christ. God, I want to be more like you. I want my life to be presented to you sacrificially in the way I live and my desires and my goals. I want them to be pleasing to you. Again, not to earn your salvation, but because I have your salvation. And guys, that's where the rub is with Christianity. Christianity is hard. Don't think for one minute. It is hard. Because the minute Christ opens up your eyes and you trust in Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit comes on the inside, all of hell stands up and says, let's get them. We're in a spiritual battle. We're in a spiritual warfare. Temptation is real. Oppression is real. And yet Paul here is urging these dear brothers and sisters, present your life a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Why? Why? Not only because of the mercies of God, but look at what he says, which is your spiritual worship. Here's another way he says that. This is reasonable. It only logically makes sense <laughs> that you do this. It only makes sense, Ron, that after you were declared husband and wife, that you now leave with Monique and start doing life with Monique. That just makes sense. 
That's what Paul was saying. God called you. He saved you. You're righteous in Christ. It only makes sense to live for him. That's why when we don't, we're miserable. Right? I don't know about you, but I am. When I step out of line from the Holy Spirit and what God would have me to do, I am miserable. The conviction, you can cut it with a knife. You say, well, I never feel that. Ooh. Hold on a minute. If you're in Christ, you can't just live the way the world dictates and not feel that conviction. John says we cannot keep on sinning after being born again. And what John is saying is not that we don't sin, but we can't just keep on sinning and it's like, oh, well, whatever. Feel no conviction. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is inside of every true believer, conforming him and her to the image of Jesus Christ. And you're going to have that, even though it's joyful and all the things that we sing about, it's like, praise God, praise God. You're going to have struggle because of the flesh. Because of the old man, because of those old desires. So Monique and I get married, we're on cloud nine. Everything's great. She moves into my little three-bedroom apartment. Literally, not three-bedroom, three-room apartment. I know I made it sound good there for a minute, Juan, right? No, it's three rooms. Kitchen, little living room, and a little bedroom, and you had to go out in the hallway to use the bathroom. They got those in the Bronx, right? They got those places. <laughs> then you know it was love for her to move into that place. We move in. She's home. I'm at work. I come back home. This little apartment had one closet. One closet about this big. That's where all my stuff lived for like four years. Come home. I go to hang up my jacket. Closet was full. Not with my stuff. And I'm like, hey, babe. She comes out the kitchen. Hi. They're on the honeymoon. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, good. Hey, uh, yeah, where, where's my stuff? And I love the way she answered me. It wasn't like, oh, I'm sorry. She was like, oh, isn't there on the bed? I, I, <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. yeah. For five years, it's been in the closet. And now it's on the bed. And she looked at me like, yeah, well, where do you want me to put my stuff? And then she walked away. I'm like, <laughs> okay, uh, babe. She said, well, just. Go to Walmart and get one of those little, like, zip things and put your stuff in there. No, no, my stuff really likes being in the closet. Why don't we get you a little, what happened? All of a sudden, you're in Christ, and here comes the struggle, right? The honeymoon, well, it wasn't over, right? Honeymoon never ended with us. <laughs> but, guys, this is something that we all feel. And all of a sudden, in that moment, although I'm in a relationship, the love of my life, I'm in union with her. We're one. The old man raised his head. Selfishness. Well, this, this is my apartment. Oh, we're married now. Right? How true is that in our lives as believers? We know what Christ has done for us. And then we revert back to the old way of thinking. It's a struggle that all of us are going to have until Christ comes back. Paul talks about that struggle in Romans 7. The very things I know I need to do, I do the opposite. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from this body of flesh? So he's appealing. Listen, if you understand the grace of God that he gave you, guys, please present yourself as a living sacrifice. This is what you should do. This makes logical sense. This is your spiritual warfare. So 
Let's look at the plea. What is he saying? Well, number one, it's an urgent plea. It's based on God's mercies, chapters 1 through 11. And then notice your part. You present your life to God. You present. See, that indicates choice. I have to be willing to walk in this new faith. When we got married, I had to be willing to walk out of the church, go with Monique to our new place. I have to now walk in the role of a husband. It's not just going to happen. Same thing with our Christian walk. We have to be willing to walk in this truth. So he says, no, you present your life a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, and you're going to do it by living sacrificially for God. Folks, this struggle is so real, and oftentimes in our lives, we, 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 we kind of feel like, I don't understand what's happening in my life. God saved me, and I got all these struggles, maybe temptations, you're all around you, and there's times you're falling into the temptation, right? And, 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 and that's where Satan's going to come and say, look at you. You're not really saved. Can't believe you did that. Remember, he's the liar, the deceiver, and the condemner. He does a good job at it, right? But please, hear me, hear me. We cannot negate the temptations that are going to come in all of our lives as a believer, all right? That's going to happen. Let me ask you a question. Does that mean that you have to yield to the temptation? Absolutely not. Does that mean that, therefore, you're not ever going to yield? So if we don't have to yield to temptation, but there's times we do yield, what's the problem? Choices. In that moment, you are choosing, I'd rather have this than what pleases is God. Folks, don't ever minimize it. That's exactly what's happening. And when I counsel people, Christians, and they say, I just don't know what happened. I say, oh, no, I know what happened. You wanted what was displeasing to God, and that looked more inviting, more fulfilling than what you know God would have you to do. And you chose to do it. If we don't accept that responsibility, there will never be change. That's one of my biggest frustrating things as as a counselor, to talk to people who don't want to take ownership. Why did you do that? It's like our kids. Our kids are growing up, right? Come here. Mm? Did you touch the cookies on the table? Mm-mm. What's on your mouth? Mm-mm. Let me see. Smells like chocolate. Is that chocolate on your lips? Mm-mm. Right? I mean, just take ownership, right? So then, so then what happened? Well, then how did you get the chocolate? Mm, brother took the cookie and rubbed it on my mouth. Okay. We, we're not going to get anywhere. We have to take ownership. We have to be like David, right? Search me, oh God. Create in me a clean heart. Remove the, 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 the right or the wrong spirit within me. Give me the right spirit. Like, God, I confess. I'm sorry for choosing this over you in that moment. Now, here's the glorious thing about the gospel. You're still in Christ. <laughs> Man, you're still in Christ. It's not like he was like, oh, why did I choose this? All right, I'll give you another chance. No, no, I am in Christ. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing, even my miserable failures. Why? Because Christ paid it all. But guys, 
we got to be honest with ourselves and not take that grace and presume upon that grace. He says in Romans, so should I just keep sinning because grace abounds? God forbid. If I understand the grace and I understand what happened on Calvary's cross, it ought to provoke me to want to love him with all of my heart. And even though I'm going to have struggles with this flesh, when I fall, I'm going to do what John said. I'm going to confess my faults, confess my sins, and I know that he will cleanse me. You know why? Because he already has through Christ. This is what Paul was getting at. Our life ought to look different. Here's the struggle. Look at Romans 12.2. Here's the struggle. Do not be conformed to this world. This is why we have the struggle. Not only, not only my own sinful heart and my own sinful desires at times, but then I'm living in a world that's trying to press me into its way of thinking. That's a perfect storm. My own sinful desires, my own sinful struggles, then I'm living in a world that is anti-God. I'm living in a world that says truth is relative. I'm living in a world that says there is no God. You have all of those pressures, so you got warrings within and warrings without. And it's so easy to get off track. This is Paul's urging plea. Guys, listen, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And here's the key, folks. Through the renewal of your mind. I often tell the teens at the high school, whoever gets your time gets your mind. And whoever gets your mind ultimately will get your heart. It's no different for us. We are involved, engaged in a spiritual battle. And while I don't have to fight for my soul, I do have to fight to live a life pleasing to God. And therein is the battle. And here's the thing. Notice what he says. Don't be conformed. Don't be pressed into that. But there is the positive. Be transformed. Metamorphosis. I can literally, you can literally be changed from the inside out. That's God's Holy Spirit in you, not you, not you. I recently was talking to someone a couple of days ago. To they're into this multi-marketing level business thing, and I won't tell you my opinion on that. But as I'm talking to this person, they're saying, "You know, Pastor Ron, I was out in you know Missouri on my business trip, and so we couldn't meet." I said, "Okay, so how did that go?" They said, "Oh, it went well." It was just deep. The, God, the speaker was just phenomenal. I said, really? Now, this is not a Christian organization. I said, why was it so great? Because the truths that he gave, like, were so enlightening. I said, well, like what? What did he say? He said, in life, when you're struggling, you got to think about those moments when things were good and get your mind off of those things that were bad. And then with all 3,000 people at this business forum, he said, everybody close your eyes. Think about something good. You got it? Now breathe in, breathe out, breathe in, open your eyes. It's not so bad. And this person said, and I literally felt relaxed. I came in so tense. I literally felt, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, mm -hmm. 
Now, this person is not a believer. They said, it was so deep. It, and it really worked. I said, well, let me tell you what he just said. He just said to you, think on whatsoever things are true, pure, honest, of good report. And he was like, well, yeah, everything I was thinking off with that caveat. Uh-huh. And he says, and the peace of God will keep your heart and mind. I said, so what the world does is they take God's truth. They leave God out of it, make you think it came from them. So then the listeners say, I don't need God. This man has the truth. That's the way the world does it. They take what God says and they put it out there, but they devoid it of God. They take God out of it. So you know what will happen? This person will go and just keep trying to think positive thoughts, but at some point it's going to crash and burn. Because there's something bigger than your thoughts that need to be changed. You need a new heart. You need a heart of stone to go to a heart of flesh. You need the Holy Spirit to save you. That's how deceptive the world is, though, right? It's a sliding of hand. I remember years ago listening to Dr. Phil. First time he was the big rage. This is before I knew he was a believer, at least based on his own words. But this is before I knew that. And I'm listening to him. Hey, Pastor, you ever hear this man, Dr. Phil? He's awesome. He comes on Oprah, and he does his little thing. I said, like, who is this guy? So I clicked it on. I'm listening. I'm like, he's talking scripture without the references. That, that drives me insane. Why don't you give credit to God? You didn't come up with that. And then later on, I heard his testimony. I said, see, he's a believer. But, you know, you can't quote scripture on Oprah because, you know, you might not get paid. Guys, the world has a way of thinking. When he says do not be conformed to the world, he's talking about the world's principles. He's talking about the way the world thinks, the morality of the world. Don't be pressed into that. Well, how am I going to resist that? By being transformed through the renewal of your mind. God's word. Brothers and sisters, listen, it's not about being legalistic. It's not about being legalistic. Did you read your Bible today? Did you read your Bible today? Did you read your Bible today? It's not about that. It's about this. How can you not read your Bible today? How can you not spend time with God in light of the battle we're in? You, you will not be transformed apart from the renewing of your mind in God's word. It is not going to happen. This is the means that God used. And this is what I had to change in my life. Because I, 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 I was early on in my Christian life, it was about, oh, I didn't read my Bible. And then I'd be upset, you know, laying down. I'd say, oh, you know, where's my Bible? Got to read my Bible. Half sleep. All right. <laughs> emoji. Okay, good. Whew. Thank God I read it this morning. Right? No, 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 no. If I'm not in the word of God, meditating on his word, Studying his word, understanding the truth of who God is, I will not be transformed. Folks, Paul says, if you're going to be transformed, it's going to come with a renewal of your thinking. And when you do that, look what you're going to be able to do. You're going to be able that by testing or examination. Now, what's implied here is your mind is renewed with the word. Now you can examine the things of the world, test it discern what is it that God would have me to do? What is the will of God? What is this perfect, acceptable, what is pleasing to God in this situation? 
in a world that is anti-God, in a world that says truth is relative, the word of God is archaic. What is it that God, how do I navigate through this in my family and every world that God has put me in? You will not navigate the right way if you're not in the word and your mind's not being renewed. It's not going to happen. You are just slowly going to be pressed into the thinking of the world. Paul is pleading with them. Please, please listen. Present, consider your life a sacrifice unto God. So, so look at what he says. Summary real quick. The message or the morality of the culture is going to try to conform you. You will only change as your mind is renovated with God's word. That's literally what the word means. I love that word. Renovate your mind. Well, wait a minute. I thought when I got saved, he gave me a new mind. He gave you a new heart. Where's the mind and the heart begin and stop? And where does the, where's the soul? That's Pastor Manny. He'll tell you. He changed us. But our mind needs to be renovated. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Colossians talks about keep being renewed in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And that comes with what? The understanding of what God says in his word. You know how renovation goes. If you ever done a renovation, they can be a pain. You got it all planned out. I'm going to do this, 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 and I'm going to add it up. Okay, I need $200 worth of supplies from Home Depot. Off. I'm going to get it done by 12, have some lunch, all done. 12 o'clock comes, place is still torn up, half the stuff is still leaking, and you ran out of tools, right? Renovations never go the right way. We are messy. That's how our lives are. All of us are a mess, but we're in ren renovation. <laughs> praise God, right? <laughs> and I praise God that he doesn't look at you based on where you are in your sanctification process. He looks at you through the lens of Christ. Guys, you need to be encouraged with that because Satan's going to try to discourage you as you're being renovated. you got to do your part, though. God gives the power to change through the Holy Spirit. But notice you must choose to put the word into your mind. You have to do that. God's not going to do that for you. Life and relationship. I can sit there with my wife, and we can sit there and never communicate. Will we still be technically married? Absolutely, we're technically married. We're not technically married. We're married. But don't communicate. What's the substance of that marriage going to be? Poor and frail. And it's going to be subject to multiple temptations because there's no intimacy emotionally happening. Same way with our lives. I got to choose to say, honey, how are you? How was your day? And that's hard because when I'm asked that question, you know what my answer is. How was your day? How was it? What do we say, man? Fine. Let's move on. No, 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 but tell me more. I, I don't want to tell you more. It was fine. No, no, but what happened? I, I, it was fine. Like God wires us differently. Ask the woman, how was your day? Oh, well, let me tell you. And right away you're like, oh, no, 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 no. Pastor Manuel, call me, call me, call me real quick. Call. <laughs> We're just different. And so it takes sacrifice. It takes patience. Why? Because it's in that communicating we do what? We build emotional intimacy. 
that helps guard and protect the message. Guys, if we're not spending time in God's word, we must constantly compare your thoughts with God's truth. Do you want to know what the will of God is for your life? It's real simple. First, uh, First Thessalonians chapter 4 says, For this is the will of God for your life, even your sanctification. There it is. There it is. In whatever you do, plumber, teacher, trash collector, whatever you do, that you are looking, thinking like Jesus Christ. That's the will of God for every person's life. It really is that simple. We complicate things, don't we? We complicate things. Teenager came in, and our seniors now that, that are trying to wrestle with what to do with my life, what do I do with my life? But Pastor, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I'm trying to find God's will. That's that one thing God wants me to do. I can ask you a question. What do you like? Man, I love working with my hands. You do? Tell me some stuff you've done. I actually fix plumbing around my house. Like my parents just get the supplies and I do it. Are you good at it? Yeah. Could you see yourself doing that nine to five? Oh, yeah. That's God's will for your life. He was like, wait, really? (laughs) I said, put that over here. Now, How's your time in the Word? How's your prayer life? Um, yeah, I probably should read my Bible more. Okay, we all struggle with that. When's the last time you've been in the Word, bro? Uh, when was that last mission trip? You see, that's when you're out of the will of God, right? We got it backwards. What is the will of God that, that, that I think like him, that I'm being transformed in the way I think so that my behavior looks like Jesus Christ. And you can do that in all kinds of careers or places. It's not the career. It's am I looking like Jesus Christ? Look at Romans 6.4. We get ready to land this plane. Romans 6, 4. Remember I told you in uh, the first 11 chapters of, of, of Romans, he, he, he talked about our salvation. 6, 4, he says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might, what? Walk in newness of life. You've been buried with Christ, raised with Christ, spiritually speaking. That's why you have the righteousness of Christ. Good. I'm good. All right. I'll see y'all in heaven. No, 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 no. Now that you might walk in a manner that reflects what God has done in you. But here's the thing. God works through means. He doesn't just do that automatically. He works through the word. He works through prayer. He works through this, the fellowship of the saints. He works through fasting. He works through times of just meditating. God works through these means to conform us to the image of his son. So how are you doing when it comes to participating in the means? Romans says that we might walk in newness of life. Look at Romans 6.13. You see the same idea of presenting this sacrificial language. Do not present your members to sin. 
as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God. Watch this. As those who have been brought from death to life. Amen. That's us. <laughs> and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Guys, we have to present ourselves this way. We have to go beyond just I'm saved. We got to go beyond that. No, God, I present my life to you. Here's the point. But I can't present my life to God if I'm not being transformed. And I will not be transformed if my mind is not being renewed. But my mind's not going to be renewed if I'm not spending time in the word. Why do you think Satan attacks there? I can have all the energy in the world. Oh, I'm going to go home. You know, I'm going to cut the grass. I'm going to weed. I'm going to do that. I got all the energy in the world, right? Next day, got all the energy in the world. You know what? Let me get into the word for all of a sudden. Like, where did that come from? I believe Satan works like that. I'm sitting in my office, and I'm like, man, why can't I keep my eyes open? What is going on? <laughs> so what do we do? Well, you know what? Let me close this up. Let me go outside, do all the artwork, everything else. Do the artwork. All of a sudden, the energy's back. Come on. You tell me that's not spiritual battle? Satan will do whatever he can do to keep you out of the word. Why? Because it's in the word that your transformation takes place. It's in the word of God that your transformation takes place, and then you can, what? Discern what is the will of God for your life. As far as how I walk, how I deal with this bad relationship, bad employers, job, temptations of the world. You won't know how to do any of that if you're not being transformed. Let's look at the last reference verse here. 1 John 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now he explains what the love of the world means because Christians have messed this verse up. Oh, you went to the movies? I thought you were a Christian. Stop. That's worldly. Stop. Legalism has done so much damage in the lives of believers. He tells us what the world is. Look, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, there's a way of thinking that the world tries to shove down our throats. Is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. We're going to feel the pressure to be conformed. My heart goes out to our young people as I work with them every day and the stuff that they are wrestling with. And it's like just this disconformity of the society, trying to push them away from God and into it's what you want, what you desire, the lust of your eyes, the pride of life, go for it. That's all good. We have the same struggles in our lives, guys. And if we're going to resist that conformity and yet be transformed, it starts with renewing this mind. So as we wrap up, just a couple thoughts as we think about how do we apply this? Well, reflect on the mercy of God towards you. You got to start there. Man, you got to go back to the cross and understand what happened. You've got to understand 
when I'm in marriage counseling and a couple's falling apart and they've been together over 20 years and like just so much animosity and hatred and just bitterness and false expectations, one of the things I say, look, put that aside for a minute. Tell me what it was like when y'all were poor. It is amazing to see their whole transformation. They came in. Mm-mm. When I said, just tell me what it's like when you were courting. And then they just kind of like, you see it happen. Well, I saw him at temple. And I'm like, wow, your whole demeanor just changed. We have to go back to what happened at the cross. Do you understand the mercy of God and what he did for us in Christ? Maybe we need to just like just step out of the rat race for a minute and go back and reflect on that. Because that now will give you the motivation to say, okay, Lord, in light of your mercy, what areas of my life need renovation? Guys, don't ignore them. The Holy Spirit's convicting us of stuff that we need to do. Holy Spirit's been convicting me of stuff I need to do. And I keep saying, okay, yeah, I'll get to that. I'll get to that. No. He's trying to conform you to his son's image. What areas of your life need renovation? What obstacles are in the way? What's stopping you? I just don't understand the Bible. Okay, reach out so we can teach you how to study the Bible. Come on, don't don't let that be an excuse. Well, I just don't understand. Are you kidding me? If we're sitting here and, God forbid, a fire broke out in that corner and there's five five uh, fire extinguishers, are we going to say, I never used one of those. I just, I don't know. Oh, man. You're going to learn how to use that. And I'm going to throw one to each one of you guys and say, has anybody figure it out yet? Oh, yeah, it says pull the ring. Okay, everybody pull the ring. Now what? Um, I don't know. Oh, it looks like it says to hit the hand. Okay, right? This is what the body of Christ is for. Let's not just gather and have us all just thinking because we don't know how to read God's word. We don't know how to understand God's word. It's great to come and hear Pastor Emmanuel preach. It's great to come and hear, you know, the preaching of the word, the teaching. Do you know how to study the word? Amen? What happens when he gets sick? Well, you'll teach. What happens when I get sick? Well, we just don't eat. No! (laughs) You should be in the word for yourself. What obstacles are in the way? And maybe it's time, guys. Maybe it's time. You just, I just don't have time. No, no, no. We have time for what we think is priority. Holy Spirit slapped me about that awesome. Stop, Stop saying that. Oh, the Holy Spirit, oh, man, Holy Spirit, really? You make priority. You make time for what you deem as being priority. And then finally, guys, who can hold you accountable? God did not save us to run this race alone. This is what the body of Christ is for. It ought to start here with this local body. We ought to be holding each other accountable. Right? Who is it? Planet Fitness? No no judgment zone? Something like that? Oftentimes we feel that, but what's that believer going to think about? You're in Christ. You're in Christ. This is not about judging one another. It's about exhorting and encouraging one another. I want you to grow in the faith of Jesus Christ. Where are you struggling? What do you need help with? What do you want me to hold you accountable to? Right? Guys, I want my life to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust that's your desire. 
My greatest need, your greatest need has already been met. We're forgiven. <laughs> I just want my life now to reflect the love of Christ in everything I do and the way I deal with life out here and proclaim in their testimony that he is near. Father, I pray for all of us. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for the grace that is only found in him. And God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are here. You know where we are. You know the struggles we have in our lives. You know those things that are keeping us back from being transformed. And I pray so much, God, that your Holy Spirit would open up our eyes, show us the things we need to change in our individual lives, that we might begin to present our lives as a living sacrifice, solely trusting in the work of your Holy Spirit, God. But we know you use your word to change us, to conform us. So, Father, I pray for all of us. Help us to take the practical steps we need to take. Thank you so much, God, for your word. May we leave here and contemplate and mold this word over in our hearts throughout the day. But then, God, to make the changes by your grace that we need to make. We thank you in Christ's name.